I had no idea what I liked. I had no idea what kind of hobbies. I had no idea who I was as a person. And I don't think that that's all that uncommon. Hey, Coach Lori here. The reason I bring you these people twice a week is I want people to know there is hope. I want you to know there is an act too. And if you are in a place where you have reinvented your life and you're ready to do a podcast and write a book, join me for my masterclass this Friday. It's a one hour masterclass. Email me at lawcoach, L-A-C-O-A-C-H at comcast.net for all the details. Now let's get to it. Has your life, your dreams been interrupted? Good news. It is possible to reinvent our lives. People are doing it every day. And some are brave enough to share the struggles, disappointments, and challenges. If you are looking for a new beginning, a do-over, or to rediscover your passion, maybe even find a new one, then grab a cup of coffee and let's talk. Interrupted, Act 2, Reinventing Your Legacy, with your host, Coach Lori. April Provost is with Ideal Options. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Lori. I'm happy to be here. We always start with your awesome life. Tell us what you're doing and what you love about it. So I'm a community outreach coordinator for Ideal Option, which is a medically assisted treatment center. I support eight clinics in the Northwest region of Washington state. I get to advocate recovery from addiction and all different kinds of modalities on all different kinds of platforms. I get to serve my community. And that's a really big passion of mine. I love that I get to help people out of the darkest days of their lives and shine some light on that and help them find their way into recovery and to start over and rebuild their own lives. I love that I get to move in political platforms and advocate for policies that are going to make sense in a non-partisan way. I don't subscribe to any political party. I'm here about this is a problem and this is what we need to do. I don't care what side you're on. And I get to do that on so many levels, whether that be with mayors or senators or speaking at the House or doing national summits. It's a wonderful platform to be on because I can see the people that are on the streets that are suffering one day and I can be talking to state senators the next and advocating for the same thing. This affects every family and it affects everybody and everything that we do. From the shopkeepers and people who own the local businesses to politicians to law enforcement, this is everybody's issue, not just those people anymore. And I love that I get to be part of a solution and I get to advocate that they're worthy. They are wanted, needed, and loved. They are people's sons and daughters and nieces and nephews and parents and grandparents, all those lives are meaningful to somebody. And it's amazing what you can do to transform them. I love that I get to be part of that solution. I love that I get to learn more about the medical profession. I do all kinds of research on neurology and neuropsychology and how the medications affect us and different mental health diagnoses and how those interact with addiction and for why certain people maybe fall into addiction to certain substances. Those are very powerful. I get to look at generational studies of the impacts and the long-term generational impacts of their addiction and where they learn that from and where it stems from and how to stop that cycle and the different resources that are available in our communities, things that I had no idea existed, all the wonderful work that people are doing, how they are advocating and how they are providing much needed services. The general public, I kind of had blinders on before. I had no idea and I had a lot of stigma around folks. It's such a blessing to now have my eyes open to that 
and to get to really see what's really happening and getting to hear the impactful stories of those folks. I think we have this mentality of what an addict looks like. And it's the homeless addict on the streets talking to themselves and waving their arms around and acting crazy. I know that I used to cross the street and avoid eye contact. Today, I go right up to them. And that act of kindness of just saying hello can be so meaningful. It could be life-saving in some instances. But hearing the stories of what led them down those paths has been absolutely beautiful for me. And it's been very humbling. Nobody sets out to say, hey, I'm going to go become a drug addict and be homeless and live a life of crime. That's never anybody's intention. And a lot of people didn't have a choice. Their addiction started when they were very young as children. We don't hold a child responsible for their actions legally or ethically in most cases. So when that starts at that young of an age, and that's the only life they know, and that's their family dynamic, it really does shape who they become. Watching them learn a different way and have a different life and watching them not just recover, but thrive in that life is truly a thing of beauty. I just can't get enough of it. I'm very passionate about it. And I love seeing it. It's a very humbling experience as well. When you have a background that includes some criminal activity, that is a very humbling experience. I meet with folks from the jail today, and I love that I can relate to them. I love that I can see that fire and that flicker in their eyes, because maybe that's the first time that they've been completely substance-free for a while, and they're able to make those choices to at least hear what someone has to say and what they're offering them in finding that new life. The company I work for provides medically assisted treatment within our jail here, what a game changer that can be. How much more successful people can be making that transition from active addiction into recovery is really, truly beautiful. I get to do this not only with Ideal Option, but I also get to do this with nonprofits that I volunteer for. I love going out with some of the great agencies we have. This is not something I could have ever seen myself doing. I get to go into these jails and I get to share my lived experience with them. I get to go into treatment centers and share my experience. This is a life that has afforded me so many awesome friendships and connections, which I think, you know, so many of us miss out on today. We just don't have time for true personal in-person connection. It's always done on the web or on Facebook or Instagram, or it's very limiting when you don't have that social connection in person, to give somebody a hug, to look them in the eye, to be able to read their nonverbal cues, to see their body language, and really assess what can I do to help this person to see that they're struggling, how can I help them? And I think that we miss out on a lot of that when we don't show up in person. And today I'm learning how to show up in person and be that person, be that friend, be that mother, be that spouse, be that person that shows up. It wasn't always like this for you, April. Do you want to take us back? I grew up in the generational confines of the, of addiction from grandparents to parents. It was kind of a social norm. Both my parents are alcoholics. My father was able to find his recovery later in life, but so I grew up, you know, drinking was a very common thing until it was too much of a thing. And that started a spiral. And eventually it was a pain pill addiction that completely 
transformed my, I guess you would call it societal norm life. I got married, I had the baby, I had the house, I had the income. On the outside, everything was was very pretty and polished. And on the inside, it was in self-destruct mode. I was an accounting manager. I was a PTA mom. I helped out at the daycares and, and I did all of those things because that was what was expected. But on the inside, I was secretly harboring an addiction that was slowly but progressively getting more and more out of control. And it just started to spiral. It led me to the most destructive part of my life. It ultimately ended my marriage. It got me slapped with a restraining order. It landed me homeless. There were many times I was living in a tent down by the river. I was experiencing domestic violence on a regular basis. I was around very violent people living a very dirty, dirty life. And that fall from grace had me excommunicated from from my community. The other PTA moms that I used to hang out with that were all still drinking on the weekends and exchanging pain pills here and there for a headache and menstrual cramps now wouldn't even look at me. I was completely looked down upon, avoided, and disgraced. I was filled with so much shame and guilt that that kept me in that perpetual cycle for years. And I was living literally in the woods, down by the river, and the community that I used to be such a part of. That was the truly unfortunate part. And looking back, that is what I now want to advocate and change. That social stigma and those labels that were applied and the fact that nobody, not one person reached out to help me. Not one. No one said, hey, I can see that you're struggling. I can see that you're suffering. How can I help you? Not one. And that to me is just shameful. It's shameful. And it's what drives me today. It was eventually a social worker that was embedded with the police department that found myself and a significant other in a tent and offered that olive branch, took us to lunch and said, Hey, there's a better way. You don't even really have to do anything. We'll, we'll make all of the arrangements for you. You just need to show up. And I guess that's what drives me as well today is no matter what, just show up. It's amazing the life changes that can happen if you just are present and you just show up. One small decision created this ripple effect and gave me a life that is so completely different. And it taught me such meaningful things in my life. True gratitude, true humility, true appreciation, and most importantly, true compassion. That doesn't mean I don't hold people accountable or that I think it is okay to be using out in the open or to be stealing or to be harming others in any way. I in no way condone that behavior. I understand why somebody needs to be there to be that compassionate person that says, I see your pain. There's a better way. Will you let me show you how? If we had more of that, we could pull more people out, but they are so shamed and they were so, so stuck in that cycle of guilt, shame, labeling, and stigma that they feel like, okay, well, that's great. I can go and I can get better, but still nobody's going to talk to me. I'm not worthy. I'm never going to get past all these shameful acts that I've committed and I can't deal with that. I'm going to be alone forever. And that is a very isolating and polarizing feeling. And I think that at the end of the day, we all strive for that personal connection and they have a connection to that community and they don't have one to the better life community. Finding that sense of community and being that olive branch for somebody else drives me because I remember what that felt like. It was dirty emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally, in every way. It's such a dirty life and it's so hard to get out of. I felt isolated polarized, labeled. There was so much stigma and guilt and shame. I didn't know how to get out. It was overwhelming, 
just and daunting. And I had no connection to anyone that was willing to help. And to me, that's wrong. We're failing as a community. It breaks my heart to think that nobody reached out to you. There is kind of a message. Don't bother. They'll come when they're ready. What advice would you give to somebody who's right now thinking maybe there's someone they could be reaching out to? You have a loved one or even acquaintance, somebody that you know that has gotten stuck in that spiral. We do not want to enable them, but at the same time, they need to know that they're wanted, needed, and loved. A smile, a conversation, make them feel like they're still included, that they're still human. Tell them, I see your pain and I see you're struggling. I know where the resources are. If you need some help, let me connect you. And if they don't accept your your help, because a lot of them won't, because shame, we're trying to put on that mask that we're not what we really are. Just don't avoid them in the future. Don't go out of your way to shame them. Don't treat them like they are a stray dog in the street. When you encounter them, smile. Keep offering that help and that that service to them. Let them know where the community showers are, where there, there might be a free meal, but just don't treat them like they're not there. Just acknowledge that they're there. Sometimes somebody just being kind to me is what got me through the day because there were times in my active addiction that I was absolutely suicidal to the point where I actually had a plan and was working on executing. That was the pivotal lowest moment. I thought I had more value dead than alive and nobody should feel that way. Smiling at them is not going to draw their attention to make you come attack you. They're not there to come after you and it's not going to rub off on you and and you're not going to catch anything from just sending somebody a smile. Find a way to get involved in your community to be part of the solution. Maybe you don't feel comfortable reaching out to that individual. So go find somewhere where you can volunteer that provides you with that level of comfort and safety. Donate to your local shelter. Find ways to become involved in part of the solution. Realize that everybody is still a human. Even that crazy girl on the street screaming at nothing or shaking her finger up in the air. We never know the depths of somebody's pain. And when we don't acknowledge and validate that somebody's in pain, we're just kind of casting them into their own separate hell and they're feeling isolated and lonely. So we can't help everybody, but we can be kind and we can be compassionate and we can treat everybody as a human. April, I'm so glad you didn't end it. I can't even imagine my world without you in it. And I think when people are in the depths of despair, they have no clue the difference that they can make. And I'm so glad that you stuck with it and you said yes. Something you said a little earlier about worthiness and that you may get clean and sober, but you'll never have your community back. How did you navigate that? Can you walk us through that? My recovery journey started slow. Humbling, I can't even begin to tell you how humbling my early recovery was. I got through the treatment portion. I was living in a communal home in a clean and sober house. My first job was landscaping and I was making $2 an hour less than my 16-year-old son. And I was having to become self-sustaining on that income. So humbling doesn't even begin to grasp how big I had to start over. I was 45 years old, making less money than my 16-year-old, did not have my license because it had been suspended. I had to work every day on all of those little tasks that we all take for granted, all of those milestones that most of us experience in our teen years. I was having to start over and do it all over again, literally rebuilding with nothing more 
than a garbage bag of clothes. That's literally all I had when I started my new journey. Rebuilding my self-esteem was one of the most difficult things I've ever done. And it took probably a good two years before I was anywhere near functioning as an adult and feeling worthy of being part of society again. Did a little bit every day. It was, I just showed up. I just showed up to make that $14 an hour. Have you heard, if not now, when? If not you, then who? Are you being prompted to write a book, to create a podcast? Check out Leaving a Legacy at www.coachlaurie, that's coach, L-A-U-R-I-E, dot com. And let's get started on your second act now. I just showed up to make that $14 an hour. I just showed up to get my license reinstated. I just showed up to take a training class for recovery coaching. I just showed up whenever an opportunity presented itself. I showed up. Not all of them were for me, but I had to just show up. I had to be willing. And I think that's the biggest thing that a lot of us tend to forget as we get older and, and settle into our, our pathways is that we forget to be willing to learn. It's never too late to learn. We can find that new pathway, that new passion. I had no idea what I liked. I had no idea what kind of hobbies. I had no idea who I was as a person. And I don't think that that's all that uncommon. There's a lot of people out there, whether you're an addict or not an addict or whatever that looks like. I think a lot of us get so labeled into what we what we do for a living or being a parent that that becomes our identity. And then we have these changes later in life where our kids start growing up. In my case, I overcame my addiction and my kid grew up and I was no longer married. And I had placed so much of my identity into that, but I had no idea who I was or what I was passionate about or what I wanted to do when I grew up, but I'm already grown up. So how am I supposed to start over? And how can I develop a whole new career path and still be self-sustaining and make enough to maybe someday retire? And um, all of those things that we look forward to, I was willing to try something new and I just showed up. And when I found that thing that fit, I went after it 100%. And I didn't allow somebody telling me I couldn't do something to limit me. Nobody thought I would get here. I'm starting college this year with my son. Talk about starting over. And that's just for my own peace of mind because I'm passionate, because I want to learn, because I don't want to be limited. Don't ever feel that you're too old to start over. Never feel limited. Better yet, even if you feel limited, you felt limited, but you did the thing. I had to just show up. My willpower to prove everybody else wrong is what drives me. It's what drove me to eventually get clean without having to do like an inpatient detox or treatment is everybody thought I couldn't do it. Nobody thought I was going to be the one to do it. And it was that sheer willpower that propelled me. So when someone tells me I can't, that is motivation for me. Oh yeah, let me show you. I'm going to show up in whatever capacity that I can, and I'm going to do the best that I can, and I'm going to advocate, and I am going to let people know that I am here. I am not going to be intimidated into sitting on the sidelines, and I'm not going to allow any kind of shame to be present in my life anymore. I'm not going to do it. I don't feel ashamed of my age or my background or what I've done, and it's not going to limit me from making that next leap of faith because really it's a leap of faith. You never know what the outcome's going to be. You don't need to because sometimes it comes through in such unexpected ways. 
when I had to start a career over, again, I started with landscaping. Not that I saw a great potential in that as a career path, but I had to just show up for something. And I had to go where I could I could get it. Because sometimes we have to do things that we really don't want to get to the things that we really do want. And it's those steps. That's what we need to do. That's what you need to focus on is don't be limited by where you are right now. Think of it as, okay, this is the stepping stone to X, Y, or Z. And maybe that path will take a bunch of different whys and and turns that were unexpected, but the outcome is going to be beautiful if you just keep showing up and being willing. When I got back into radio, I applied for many, many DJ jobs. I did not want to be a traffic reporter. That's where I ended up. For me, it was the best thing I could have done. I resisted it like crazy, but it got me to the number one station actually in the nation. But had I not said yes to that, the doors to get me where I needed to go may have never opened. I hear it all the time from people that are that are starting over because that's what they're doing. They're starting over or they're starting new. And I don't want to do this. I don't want to live in a clean and sober house. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And when we kind of let go of those things, it's kind of a common theme in the recovery world is you need to be willing. What are you willing to do? to get the life that you want. And that's what it comes down to. This is the life that I want. This is the life that I envision. How am I going to get there? Are you willing to take all of those small steps to get to that giant step at the end? And um, having to be willing does not come naturally. Living in a communal house at 45 did not come naturally. Having to share the bathroom and being assigned chores as an adult, I was a little horrified by that. I don't know why my ego was so inflated because my self-worth was definitely in the toilet at the time. But I learned so much from that experience. I still have friends from that very first house that I am still connected with today. And they have added so much joy and value, beauty to my life that I can't even begin to thank the universe or thank God for what that has brought me. Something that I didn't want to do turned out to be exactly what I needed. And it's funny because that's, that kind of seems to be a theme throughout the rest of, of my life so far is that all those steps that I took, even though I didn't want to, bore such fruits in such unexpected ways and brought such beautiful things into my life and so many beautiful people into my life. Um, I can't even begin to imagine my life any other way. And looking back, it's like, oh, I remember how much I resisted that that step. Um, I remember how afraid I was to do that. I remember, oh, you know, do I really want to um, to work in the jail? At one point, I worked at the diversion center, which was located in the jail. But what a thrilling experience to be able to walk in a jail and then walk out when I want to. There was a section of my life where that was not the case. When I walked in, I wasn't going out until I was told. It's been just this whole 180 degree shift. Being able to see it from both sides gives me a unique perspective where it has propelled me. Those bad, dark parts of my life giving value to me now as my life experience is my education. It allows me to reach people in unique and beautiful ways. And the fact that I get to do this and get paid for it is absolutely beyond words. In my past life, because that's what I call it now, my past life, my very first iteration, I was in accounting. 
So you couldn't be further away from social services. So to see that that's where it has brought me in the end, anyone can change their life. Anyone can transform. You can change that trajectory no matter what age you are, no matter what's happened in your background. Don't allow it to be limited because people with records and and that are in recovery are doing things like becoming senators and they're running for offices and they're owning businesses and they're CEOs and they've transformed their lives. And if we can do it, you can do it. I love that I get to see people in their 40s, 50s, 60s going back to school. I'm not the only one. I show up and I'm just like, like, I don't know anybody here. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to fumble what I'm saying. I didn't get an education on public speaking, but here I am giving a speech today or pitching a presentation or doing a Narcan training in front of a bunch of people I don't know. I just showed up. If I can do it, anyone can do it. I love it. Something you brought up and maybe you could speak to this. Yeah, you had this time in between your two jobs that disrupted your life, but you worked a job that you were good at, but didn't love. And now you work a job that you love. I feel like some of the principles you already said apply. People are listening and they're staying in a job because they need insurance or they're afraid to move forward. They know there's something they love, but they're staying put. I stayed in accounting. I was miserable, but I didn't think that I could make enough income to support myself, or I wasn't going to be able to save enough 401k, or I get all that. Realistically, what do you want to do for your time? What does that look like? Maybe you'll be lucky and save enough to where you can just infinitely travel for the rest of your life. What I'm doing today, I don't see myself ever giving it up. Not a hundred percent, not ever. I used to laugh at people when they said, if you do something you love, you never work a day in your life. That's just for dreamers. That's a bunch of hooey. I don't believe that. I really thought that was a fairy tale and a myth, but I'm here to tell you today, it's not. It's true. Does that mean that I have a great day every day? Absolutely not. I have some of the hardest days of my life have been during this job. Watching somebody fail, somebody losing their lives, it can be excruciating, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. So my advice to you is if you feel like, oh, I just can't give this up or can't give that up, you can. We all have a choice. So start looking, explore your options, educate yourself, get yourself to where you need to be. Oh, well, to get the an equatable level of income and this job or this profession, what am I going to need? It's little small steps to where you're going to get there. It doesn't mean that you have to just take the leap of faith and jump into something big all at once. You want to change your trajectory? You want to go from accounting to, to human services? What do you need? Maybe you need to further your education. So maybe you start taking a class here and there and you build that education level up. You get what you need. Maybe you start volunteering in some capacity so that you can network into that industry. Networking is huge. Who you know, selling yourself through networking, because that's really at the end of the day, that's what we're doing, right? That's what an interview is. Showing people, this is what I am. This is what I'm capable of and giving people that impression of you. Build that network. The best thing that you can do is surround yourself with people that you want to be like. The more questions you ask, people love to talk about what they do. Take small steps, just show up. It's amazing, you'll get guided where to go if you just keep following that dream. When I first decided that I wanted to start working in recovery, it was during the pandemic and everything had been shutting down and treatment centers were shutting down, the resource centers were shutting down. Any entry-level ends were kind of just shut down. I had already left my previous employment. I had to pay my bills. I was applying at Lowe's and grocery stores and I could not get hired. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if I can't even get a job in retail, what am I going to do? I felt very defeated. And then the diversion center opened. They were hiring. And guess what? I got the job. A good three or four months of 
unemployment, worrying about whether or not I was going to like lose my housing. At that time, like everything was just shut off. It was like a whole new world. And to get that first job, it was so meaningful that I was willing to take it no matter what they paid. It was pretty low paying, I will admit, but that job gave me a wonderful and fast, extensive knowledge base and connection to so many other agencies. Really, it's what propelled and launched my career. All of the people that I connected with while I was there got me to where I am today. Sky is the limit from here. And I think, wow, I can't believe how quickly that happened. Now, while I was living through it, it was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get through this? This is taking forever. It's all about perspective. So find something that's going to make you happy, something that you can be passionate about. Thank you so much, April. The last question I always ask is, what are you reading or what do you recommend? Well, I read actually a lot of uh, medical journals and papers on neuropsychology. And Well, thank you so much, April. Thank you for having me. Coach Lori here. I am not anti-aging. I am all about aging gracefully. Did you know we stopped making collagen at a certain age? And did you know powdered collagen has to go through your whole digestive system? So I am a big fan of Glow Liquid Collagen. It helps me age gracefully, inside and out. To order, check the link below. By the way, if you order two at the same time, free shipping. Or if you would like to be an affiliate, make a little extra cash, click the affiliate link. Three things we learned from April. You can overcome the shame of addiction. You can live a life you love, but most of all, show up. If you love this podcast, here's a big ask. Will you share with your friends and family? Subscribe, give us a review, and a five-star rating so that others looking to reinvent their lives will be able to get the help they're looking for. Thank you in advance.